John chapter 3, John chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there are a bunch of Bibles in, in the seat back in front of you. You can grab one of these, uh, one of the black hardback Bibles is just the same version I'm reading from, so it might be easier to follow along. Um, and if you're following along in this, I believe, I'm just double checking, we're on page um, 887. Uh, a lot of, sometimes my pages are the same. Y'all mind bringing me down just a little bit, ring and thank you. Um, Around page 887, 890, that's just kind of a quick reference. Let's see. Yes, it is. Same page, 887, uh, if you want to follow along with us. Hey, one of the things uh, we do just as we're going through the series is we memorize Scripture together, and we are in John 1, 1 through 7. We're eventually memorizing all of the first 18 verses. We're memorizing just the first seven, Um, and I want to encourage you to continue week by week. We do one verse at a time. And uh, so I want to encourage you to keep pressing in. Uh, I, I have a confession. We made it seven weeks. But I do not feel confident that I have verses six and seven down. All right? So I say that as a confession, but also as an encouragement. If you don't have it down either, open your Bibles. And when we get to those verses, just read along. So whether you're quoting or whether you're reading along, I want us all together to do John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Would you repeat or follow along and repeat with me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Amen. Hey, as we continue just to memorize, uh, once again, why are we memorizing these 18 verses? Well, as we study the book of John, these 18 verses really are a great introduction and summary of the main points of the entire book of the Gospel of John. We're going to be studying it all the way till the end, till about Christmas time. So we're going to be in it for a while as we continue to press on. I'm grateful for Nick last week uh, in my absence uh, to be able to uh, unpack John chapter 2. Uh, I gave him the whole chapter, uh, which is a lot to cover in, those, in that short time that he had. And I know he faithfully covered specifically more the first half than the second half. Um, but we're going to jump into John chapter 3. So we're going to keep pressing in, and we're going to go to John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter... Th- oh, oh, hello. Well, everybody okay? We had a banner that broke. Uh, which is so, so anybody else sitting near a banner, they were all made about the same time. And so if that means anything else for the five remaining banners, just leave it, Tariq. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you just won't be satisfied today. I guess that's, it says satisfied on that. So if you're like, what do you mean by that? Our mission statement is connecting people to life satisfied in Jesus because we believe Jesus is your hope. So that's what we meant by you won't be satisfied. To, you will be. You You will. How do you recover from that? John chapter 3, <laughs> verse 1. Let's just read. We're going to read all the way through. Um, actually, we're going to read through verse 15, the one we'll pause, and we'll pick up from there. So John 3, 1 through 15. 
Now there was a man, uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher uh, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. All right, so let's pause because I, I think it's helpful to give context when we do read the rest of it, we'll better understand. Um, This is nighttime. This is important. At nighttime, a religious leader comes to Jesus and asks him uh, questions about his teaching. He is respectful. He calls him rabbi. When we see Jesus uh, interact with other Pharisees in Scripture, a lot of time there is this kind of animosity that the Pharisees have towards Jesus. We understand that Nicodemus was a powerful leader. Uh, but yet he was also, appears to be here, a very teachable person. Now he comes at night um, because I honestly, I believe the text will show us based off the rest of what we understand is that he, he was wanting this encounter to kind of be secret. Like he, he didn't want other people to know that he was coming and talking with this rabbi that the Pharisees haven't yet made up their mind about. But he was curious and he wanted to know. So he comes at night to have this, this, this conversation with him. Uh, we, so we understand that it's happening at night, kind of in the secret, but this is a Pharisee who is open to what Jesus has to say. Genuinely, I think, has good questions for Jesus. And he says to him, Rabbi, which is a title of respect that he gives Jesus, we know that you're a teacher come from God. How do we know this? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? So honestly, let's, let's be honest, that's a good question. All right, Jesus' comment was a little off. Like, what do you mean born again? And so Nicodemus replied the way I would have, hold on, <laughs> let's talk about this. How is this possible? Like, what are you talking about? He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Um, Pause. This afternoon, um, I my kids are watching a show on Disney, which is usually kid friendly as far as language and things like that. But I noticed there's some screaming going on on the TV, and so I kind of popped my head and what's going on. And it was some prank show where it was weird. The woman was giving birth to a teenager, and it was kid friendly and how it was done. But I just remember thinking, like, this is really weird. Like, this is this is really weird. And uh, I had them change the channel. But, it, but nonetheless, like, this is weird. But I, I'd, it just popped into my mind in a very vivid way because this is the text I've been preparing for. And this is, in the same way, my response in immediately seeing this, I'm like, hey, I know they didn't say anything bad. And that's not even that gruesome and looking. Like, it's basic. But just the idea is weird. And so let's change the channel. Well, this is precisely how we sh- Nicodemus, especially, and us should be thinking about the fact that Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is imagining a grown person being born and going, this doesn't make any sense. Well, that should be the first clue to us that Jesus is speaking of something other than just physical here. He's speaking, to, which he'll get to, but th- we should be put off a little bit by this statement. I am anyways. Um, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's the second time he's given a truly, truly statement. This is a point of emphasis 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Verse 3. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he expands a little bit of what it means to be born again. It means to be born of water and spirit. That's helpful for us, but let's keep reading. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay, Jesus, good. So you're not talking about a physical birth again. You're talking about a spiritual birth. It's a very helpful and important distinction for us to understand. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Which, let's pause there and go, well, I was marveling at it. I'll be honest. Like, I was marveling at it. But he's saying, don't marvel at this. Why? Why should we not marvel at this? Verse 9. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus in verse 9 says to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? And here's his third truly, truly statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man which this is in reference to Jesus, specifically John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, So he's, he's referring to his life and his testimony, that he is the one who has ascended into heaven and descended as the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We'll pick up there towards the end, but let's pause. Two questions we want to answer today as we look at the main point of the sermon, which is simply this, the main point of today's sermon is simply this, believe in Jesus for eternal life. It's the main point of today's sermon. And honestly, it's the main point of the entire series is that you encounter Jesus in such a way that you believe in him. Let me remind you of uh, what John tells us in John 20, verse 30, which is the main point of the whole book. The reason why he wrote, wrote the gospel of John was simply this, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing in him, you may have a life in his name. Today's main point is that, simply, that you would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. So two questions we want to answer about eternal life and about that main point as it relates to being born again. What is it exactly and how do we get it? What does it mean? What is it to be born again? And then how do we get it? When we begin to think about being born again, there's two truly, truly statements that Jesus says about these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and of spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. These are saying the same truth, but in two different ways that help us understand fully what it means to be born again. Now, when we think about verse 5, when it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does it mean to be born of water and what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Many interpreters, which I don't think they're necessarily wrong here, 
uh, but I, I think they're incomplete in their answer, is when they say what it means to be born of water and spirit. Spirit is kind of easy for us to go, well, that must mean that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, does a, does a saving work in our lives. We get the idea of things like Ephesians chapter 2 when it says because of God's grace working in your life, you go from death to life. That's, that's an idea of being born again, of physical de- or spiritual death into spiritual life, born again, taken from death to life. That's the work of the Spirit. And then we go, well, what does it mean to be born of the water? And many, I think, um, the, which there's true imagery to this, but I think incomplete, they'll say, well, this refers to baptism. And I do think this is a picture of what baptism means, but I don't think it's referring to baptism alone. What I mean by referring to what baptism means, baptism is an outward act, an outward profession of showing what Christ has already done in our life of cleansing. And so when one is baptized, which is one of the important ordinances, two major traditions within the Christian church that have been in the church for 2,000 years, has been the Lord's Supper and baptism. And baptism is this act that does not save us, but is an outward confession or profession of the salvation that God has given us spiritually. It's a physical act to show a spiritual reality. And in the same way one is baptized or cleansed physically, baptism represents that spiritual cleansing. But why would I say here that that I think his reference to water and spirit is more than just what we think of New Testament baptism. And I do that based off probably the background to this was more likely Ezekiel chapter 36. When we read Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, uh, in the Black Carback Bibles, that's page 724 if you want to follow along. 724, Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord of God, Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Now, Paul's, what's happening is he's prophesying to this moment where God's going to redeem his holiness and redeem his name for his glory. Even though we've sinned, even though the people of Israel in the Old Testament and the God's covenant people have sinned against him, he's going to redeem his holiness, not because of anything we've done, but because of his work in our lives for his glory. All right, so that's what's being described. And he says this in verse 23, And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. How will he do that? Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. It's a beautiful picture of Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes upon and there's a representation of all nations represented. Scripture says it's a picture of the nations and what God's doing. And listen, listen to what he says, verse 25. I will sprinkle with clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's a picture of being born again. What is it? It's what's being described here in Ezekiel 36. That through God's grace and through the work of Jesus, he is going to cleanse us, 
Now, you've got to remember, baptism, we often think, is a New Testament idea, which it is, but it finds its roots in the Old Testament. If you go read Leviticus and study the rites of the, uh, the Jewish leaders, that before, specifically on the Day of Atonement, even when the high priest would go in and make sacrifices for sins of all the people, he was baptized three times that day because of the need to purify himself. So baptism was a regular activity that represented purification of sins. And so Ezekiel, understanding that context, the Spirit of God speaking through Ezekiel says that there will be one, the Son of Man, who will cleanse you. He will sprinkle you with water. He will cleanse you in baptism of his holy water. And he will take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, which is alive. Heart of stone, dead. Heart of flesh, life. And he'll give you a new heart and he'll put his spirit within you. What is that? That you're born of water and spirit. You're born of cleansing and the holiness. Ezekiel would say what it means to be born of water and spirit is means that God has made you clean and he has given you a new birth. This is what's being described in Ezekiel 36. And, and Jesus takes that imagery and describes faithfully what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Is that there is a, uh, what is it to answer the question, what is it to be born again? Two answers to that question. First, there's a new identity. You're, you're a new person. You're, something has completely changed in your heart. And it's not a new identity because of cultural affiliation. It's a new identity that comes from new life in Jesus. That literally there's this cleansing of our sins. Not something we've done. John 3 says that the Spirit blows where he wishes and does what he wishes And the Spirit of God works in people's lives. What is it to bring new life and new identity? That a heart of stone is taken out and a heart that is alive is put in through the cleansing of the forgiveness of our sins and the life that comes in the Spirit. Part of that new identity is second. What is it? It's a new identity, but there's also new sensibilities. Now, there's a few other things we could probably say about this, about answers, but I just want to give these two answers. What do you mean by new sensibilities? I was hearing a testimony of someone today in our church who was just telling me about their decision to follow Jesus. And this person described what is often pretty common maybe to your story or to at least many other stories that I heard. It goes something like this. I grew up around the teachings of the Bible. And this may be true for you. Maybe you grew up in, whether it be a, a, a church like ours, whether it be a more orthodox church, whether it be a Catholic church, whether it be whatever, but, you, but maybe you grew up around the teachings of the Bible. And, but for whatever reason, years and years, and you never really, you know, you, you tried to be faithful to God's word and you, you wanted to be right with God and so you did all the right things. But then this person described this moment when they were 17 years old where it's, they, they said it's, it's almost like the lights were turned on. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. It was like all of a sudden it made sense. All of a sudden I could see it. What made no sense to me for many, many years, this person grew up in church. So for 17 years, um, this person grew up in church and was like, I, I went to all the camps. I went to every, church every week. I did all these things. But I, I just, even I thought it made sense. But there was this moment without a shadow of a doubt where God saved me. And then all of a sudden I could see I could understand. It's like I saw the gospel for the first time. It's like I would read God's word and things I'd read but really hadn't read before all of a sudden were there. It's a new sensibility. All of a sudden, and that's why I think Jesus would say this to Nicodemus. Remember, he's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to a religious leader who had all the answers, 
who taught the Bible as a religious leader more than anybody else. He had all the answers. But notice what he says to him. Unless you're born again, you won't be able to see it. It's there, but you won't be able to see it. You're all around it. And in fact, Nicodemus, you teach it. But unless you're born again, you won't be able to see it. This is a challenge to us. Because you being here today doesn't make you a Christian. You saying you believe the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. You saying that you're a follower of Jesus ultimately doesn't make you a Christian. Now, yes, Romans makes it clear that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, absolutely. That text is true. But what we want to balance that with is this also what Jesus saying in John chapter 3 is that it's this heart cry of confession that can only come with new life. What is it? It's a new identity. It's a new sensibility. What it is, is literally a heart of flesh and a heart of, that. I mean, a heart of stone taken out, a heart of flesh being put in. It's cleansing from our sins. It's a work of God that does in us, which leads us to the second question. How, how do we get it? How do we get it? Nicodemus is a little confused about, hey, this idea of being born again. All right, first of all, I thought it was weird that a that a grown person is born again, and Jesus goes, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not a physical, it's a spiritual thing. But even then, he's going, okay, I'm still a little confused about this. And Jesus goes, how do you not understand? Like, you're supposed to be the religious teacher, and you don't understand? Which Jesus is pointing out, it's because you're not born again, you just don't see it. But he goes on, and he talks about, well, how do we get it? And he begins to talk about the Spirit of God. Verse 12, John 3, verse 12. If I had told you earthly things you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up the serpent, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Two answers to the question, how do you get it? First, we need to understand the illustration that Jesus uses about Moses. If you're not familiar with the story, let me tell you what happens. In the Old Testament, the people of God have sinned greatly against God. And because of that, God brings judgment on them in the form of venomous snakes. And many of which and many of things are attacked and they're bitten and they're literally venom and is going through them. And which is a gruesome thing, I might add, which speaks to the gravity of their sin, which let us not miss the gravity of our own sin. And it's a picture there of their need for forgiveness and salvation. And so it's literally an act of faith that God tells Moses to take this and to lift it up. And if people look at it, they will be saved. They, they literally just in faith trust this, which is absurd. All I got to do is look at this thing and focus on this thing and I might be saved. And they do and they're saved. It's this miracle that takes place that all they do is they fix their eyes and faith on something and it saves them. And, and Jesus uses that illustration to simply say this, that the Son of Man must be lifted up and so that all of us who, like the people of Israel, that because of sin have honestly death and sin within us that is a guaranteed death sentence, that all we have to do is to, in faith, look to the one who is lifted high. It's Jesus clearly prophesying about the fact that he would be lifted high, that he would go to the cross. 
And that if we fix our eyes upon him in salvation and faith upon him, that we might be saved. It's a challenge to us in faith to trust in him. And this is why Jesus would literally go on to say this. And you notice we stopped in verse 15. The most popular verse in scripture is verse 16. So let's keep reading. But I want us to make sure we got the, un- the full context of what he means about this idea of lifted up and the need to whoever believes in the one who is lifted up that they might be saved. That's the context for what Jesus says in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, we understand eternal life here is this idea of being born again. So how do we get it? It's this picture of belief in Jesus, of putting our faith in one who is lifted high on our behalf and belief in him so that we might have eternal life. Verse 17 and following is important though. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, this is important because this implies that we need saving. I think one of the biggest struggles when we talk about the Christian faith is people don't see their need for salvation. And you got to hear this. We are not, and this isn't a popular message today in our culture, but at the end of the day, you and I are not good people, at least not compared to God. I remember, you've heard this story before, but in my pride and arrogance, I was in Brazil, I broke my foot, playing basketball in Brazil, bones were, toes were sticking in wrong directions, I'll save you the gruesome details. Anyways, I was waiting, and waiting for the doctor to come in and do what he needed to do, which was very painful, and I remember laying there, and I said to the missionary as we were waiting, I said, you know, sometimes, you know, bad things just happen to good people. And he looked at me and he said, whoever said you're good? I was like, whoa. I was like, I just met you a month ago. Like, come on. But he was making an important theological statement. Scripture says that no one is good, not even one. All have turned aside. All have turned away from God. And no one deserves God's goodness. But in relation to God and his holiness, you and I need to recognize you and I were born dead. We were physically born, spiritually dead. And when you and I were born because of sin, we were born in condemnation. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to condemn you. You're already condemned. Your sin has made you condemned before a holy God. Now, once again, people don't like hearing the message, you're not good. Now, listen, compared to me, you're probably all great, right? So if that was the comparison, you'd be in. But we're not comparing to me because I'm not the one controlling heaven. God is in his holiness. And before a holy God who is perfect in every way that we just sung, immutable, unchanging, perfect in his holiness, he cannot become more holy because he's already perfectly holy. Who do do we think we are to think that we deserve to be with a God like that? In my sin, unworthy. So you need to hear the message that we are condemned already, but this is the good news of Jesus, is that in our condemnation, Jesus said, hey, I didn't leave you there. But for God so loved the world that was already condemned, I sent my son to go and be lifted on a cross and die in your place so that all that you have to do is in faith, look and believe in him and you might be born again. This is the good news of Jesus. Come to church doesn't do that. Let me, let me kind of play on words here, but, but lifting up and looking at that cross doesn't do it. 
That's an imagery and a picture, but what we're talking about is you put your faith in Jesus. You don't put your faith in your ability to come to church and be good. You don't put your faith in your ability to memorize scripture, thank goodness, because I didn't do that very well this week. You don't put your faith in your ability to read scripture. You don't put your faith in your good deeds. You don't, you don't in any of those things. You don't do it in your career. You don't do it in your finances. You don't do it in anything because it's never good enough. But Jesus did it for you. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why John would say, hey, I wrote all these things so that you would believe in him and have eternal life. So the main point of today's sermon was what? Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Be born again. And so I ask you this question in the room. What makes you a Christian? It's not you claiming a Christian cultural identity or even a Christian theological perspective. What makes you a Christian is that you're born again. And you're born again because the Spirit of God breathes life into you so that you can see and enter the kingdom of heaven when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so it's, it's a beautiful message because when I try to live up to my own religiosity, man, that's just tiring and it's never good enough. But what we believe, what Scripture teaches, is that we come and we just look to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? I, I, I recognize that I, am, I stand condemned. I am guilty. I'm before a judge, and I'm guilty of whatever you accuse me of because I did it. But I ask for your pardon. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you breathe life into me? Would you take me from death to life? Help me have that new identity. Help me see again. Would you cleanse me in spirit of God? Would you help me? be born again. And so I pray for you that when you say, hey, I'm a Christian, it's because you know the Spirit of God has brought life that has taken you from death to life. You've been born again. And I want to invite you, if you have questions about that, because maybe you've been in church and go, oh, I haven't heard that. What I heard about eternal life was that I had to, I had to go to church, I had to do these things, and, and then if my goods outweighed my bad, then, then God would let me in. But you're telling me I can never do anything good enough to get into heaven. I'm going, that's exactly what I'm telling you, which is good news because that means it's not up to you. But it's up to Jesus, and he's already done it. And he offers you eternal life if you would put your faith and trust in him. So if you've got questions about that, about Christianity, any of those things, I would love to talk more. And I'd love to continue to point you, and I pray that the Spirit of God would help you see the kingdom of heaven so that you may enter it for eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you, and as we just reflect, we're asking for your mercy. We're asking for you to just, we're asking for you to illuminate. As John 3 tells us, that the, that the wind blows where it wishes, and the wind is in reference there to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, you do, and you work salvation in people's lives. We don't determine where the wind blows. You blow but I'm asking you, would you blow in this room? Spirit of God, would you work in hearts today? Would you bring life? Would you help us have faith in you, to believe in you? And maybe for the first time, there's someone in here, God, who just is putting their faith and trust in you. They're, they're looking up and fixing their eyes on you. And I pray that you would, that you would give spiritual birth into their life. Give spiritual birth into their life. Would you just work in this room? 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.